Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hi, this is Laura Burhenny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And Kim Reinhart with Ain't Misbehaving Canines. And Laura, I think you have a topic for us today? I do. I was thinking we would talk today about multi-dog households. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, it is. You know, because people, usually I think I think that people, they get one dog, they get the first dog, and they spend a lot of time training that dog, and then they that dog is perfect, and then they get a second dog thinking that the first dog is going to train the second dog. They're going to raise it, right. Right, <laughs> and they forget how much time they actually put into the first dog, and then they wonder why the second dog isn't as responsive as the first dog. Yep, you're right. You're right. In fact, I've actually done that myself. Oh, I yeah. Mean, honestly, I have, too. I've, I've done that myself. I've waited for my second dog to um, to raise my first dog. Your first dog to raise your second dog. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or your second dog to raise I, your I third just, dog. I'm dyslexic. Can't you tell? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> anyway, well, you have a lot of experience with multi-dog households. I do. I do. And, and you do as well. So that's why I thought it would be a good topic for us because I think we both have different experiences, but I'm sure a lot of similar experiences. A lot of good input. Right. The other the other issue I think people have with multi-dogs households is I think a lot of people don't understand where to draw the boundaries when there's two dogs. I think they don't really, they don't know how much they should interfere. They don't know how much they should step back and let the dogs figure things out. Right. That's a, that's a real... Uh, it's a gray issue. area. Yeah. Right. It's a really, it's a really a gray area. I know a lot of times when people have their first dog and the first dog is older and then they get the puppy and then the puppy comes into the house or the younger dog comes into the house and the younger dog starts playing with the older dog and is playing too rough and the older dog does its job and tells the other dog that's too rough people have a tendency to get on the older dog's case right and tell the other and you know tell the older dog to knock it off and that can create a bully situation right and they do that because it looks scary right right and, it's and very s- noisy and sometimes it's not appropriate sometimes the older dog is playing is over the line is playing fun police is right. playing you know I'm going to I'm going to be so this is a really good area for us to kind of talk about how you recognize what you need to know right? <laughs> in order to make the choices that you need to make. Exactly. And so I think I would like to start off by saying, you know, what I do whenever I get a new dog mm-hmm. in my in a multi-dog household mm-hmm. is that I try to limit the amount of activity that the new dog has with the other dogs so that I'm the one influencing the dog's, the, the, the new dog's behavior. And so how do you go about that? Tell us. Well, usually when it, when a new dog comes in, they have monitored play, monitored interaction for the first, not for the first, but for like 15, 20 minutes, maybe a couple of times a day. And the rest of the time, the dog is in an exercise pen or on a leash attached to me or on a tether in whatever room I'm in, mm-hmm. you know, to try to keep the dog out of trouble. Because I don't want the dog to just walk into my house. And, you know, all of my dogs have always been rescue dogs. So I have no idea what the history is. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them to come into my house and, and think that, oh, there are no rules here. Nobody right. is making any decisions in this house. And so I want them to understand that I'm going to dictate what you do in the house, and it's going to be appropriate. It's going to be, you know, when you're in this room, when you're in my office, where there are a lot of cables and wires and books and papers and stuff, it's not run around and grab things off of the shelf. Well, and that's also helpful, I'm sure, to your other dogs, who then don't have to try to figure out what this loose cannon is going to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That they're not left to fend for themselves. Absolutely. Which, which tends to happen when a lot of bro- people bring you know, bring a new dog in is they just turn them loose and it can actually backfire and that the 
the previous dog, the resident dog, then has to kind of get on the defensive because they're the one dictating what's okay and what's not okay for the dog, and that's not up to that dog. That's not that dog's decision to make. Right. Well, and, you know, when you when you bring a doom dog in, there is a period of time where you don't really know who they are. Right. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a honeymoon period. There's a period of time when you see their behavior and you and you draw conclusions about who they are. But the truth is, in the first several days to weeks right. that a dog comes to your house, especially a, a, an adoption dog, especially a, a dog from... A rescue dog, yeah, right. absolutely. Um, a rescue, I, I sort of have a hard time with that term. Yeah. But, but adoption, yeah, a do- do- any older right. dog from adoptive situation, whatever it is, that they might be shut down. They might not actually be exactly who they are. Right. They're laying low, waiting to see what the rules are, how this house runs, what goes on in this house, and and so you aren't truly seeing their personality. And I find usually it takes four to six weeks, occasionally a little bit less, for the true personality of that dog to come out. Mm -hmm. And if you you give that dog free reign during that four to six weeks, he thinks that there are no rules. Well, and also, see, for me it's the free reign situation. I, I have less of an issue with that. Although I don't give free reign. I guess that's not true. But I don't tether them. Let's right. put it that way. But I do absolutely hear what you're saying about them needing someone to draw boundaries for them. And in addition, you know, you can think that everybody's getting along really, really well. But as that true dog begins to emerge, mm-hmm. there there could be a problem that crops up, an unusual sort of aggression problem that would or what you would perceive as aggression problem that would crop up that might really surprise you mm-hmm. if you weren't taking a really active role. Right. If you just turn the new dog loose with the resident dog or dogs and thinking that everything's fine, and in actuality it's not. There are things that are happening that you're not noticing right. because you're either not there to notice or you think that the other dog is taking care of it. Yeah. I know my yard, actually, I was just thinking, now why is it I don't have to use X-Pins, but my yard is actually pieced out. Mm-hmm. parceled out and so right. there are ways that I can that because I'm thinking why have I never had to do that right right <laughs> clearly I don't let dogs just race around and and if they don't know each other and and have free reign at each other but I think it's because I have um it, at my house I have areas that are parceled out so mm-hmm. I can make choices about okay well you're going to be here and you're going to be here and they're they're both in yards they're just not in the exact same yes, yard right they may have a common common fence or that right. kind of and thing. so they can interact through the fence and then, oh, of course, only if if they appear to be behaving appropriately. Right, and because you don't want any fence fighting, barrier frustration type stuff right. to creep up. And I know my own dogs. I know yeah. the resident dogs, so I know that they aren't inclined to fence fight, and that's certainly helpful, although I wouldn't exclude it as a possibility, and right. I certainly would do the same thing that you would, which is to really keep an eye on it. So when you bring a new dog into your house and you start introducing him to your resident dogs, what are you looking for? Tell me about bringing that new dog in. Let's say you have a dog that comes in and seems very still. And seems very still? Yes. A lot of still body language, not a lot of moving around, kind of big-eyed, cautious, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, and, and cautious is the word that was just running through my through my head. A lot of times, depending on the breed of the dog and the age of the dog, I, it will determine which other, which resident dog I put him with. And a lot of times I will use that dog to read you know, I will read my dog to see what the intention. Because a lot of times there's a fine line between between cautious, fearful, and cautious. I'm going to be aggressive. Ex- yeah, potentially explosive. I- exactly. Right. You know, it's like cautious. Am I going to back away and just go? Please, 
ignore me, la la la, I don't exist, versus if you come any closer, I'm going to go off on you. Right. You know, and so I will read my own dog to see it, how stressed out the new dog is. And my dogs are really pretty good about that. And usually what I find is that my dogs, my resident dogs, will go off on their own and sniff the grass and do whatever they normally do just to, you know, just to say, hey, chill out. We've, you know, been around enough dogs that we know that this isn't going to be a problem. And um, Somebody has a problem. Yeah, there. I was just going to say. Uh, it, in case Somebody you can't has hear, something to say. Yeah, in case you can't hear it, Daisy, one of my resident dogs, is, it wants to chime in here a little bit. But... Um, but so they'll just go off, and they'll go, you know, just calm down. We're not here to stress you out. We're not here to bully you. We're not here to, you know, overpower you, overwhelm you. And they go off on their own and leave leave the new dog to his own and let him figure out how far into the yard he wants to go. The, the shepherd that we lost last year was very, very good at bringing fearful dogs out of, his, out of their shells. He would go out in the yard, and he would and he would play, and he would look at them, and he would play about, and he would pick up a toy, and he would throw it around and then look at them, and he would go racing past them, but not too close, like in an effort to try to get them to come away from the wall, to chase draw them, them out, and exactly, to draw them out to into the yard, in. right, instead of cornering them and doing a play about and poking at them and going, come on, let's play, come on, let's play, right. he was very subtle in how he, you know, in how he dealt with dogs. He was very good at reading other dogs. Right. My dogs are similar. My dogs are, are dog savvy, and they're similar in which dogs to be need to be left alone. Yeah. And which dogs need to be, or, or would like, are, are sending out the signals that they would like to interact. Yeah. But I think that one of the problems that clients, that I, I've run into with clients, is that um, they don't have all this experience. Right. You, know, you and I both have a lot of experience, and so uh, they bring home a dog, and let's say they have a very enthusiastic, exuberant dog mm-hmm. who says... Oh, yay, this dog is here. I'm so excited. I'm so... And they don't really... They think, well, my dog is being friendly, which is a logical thing to... Mm-hmm. Obs- that's, what they, that's what their observation is, and it's it's logical. But I think that sometimes that can open up its own set of problems. Yes. Because... Because... <laughs> don't look at I know, me. no, no. I know, I know you had a train of thought that you were going Well. To. Because a dog that is really excited and exuberant, if you have that dog that's sitting in the corner saying, gee, you know, I just want to be left alone. I need to I need to process this. I need to figure out what's going on here. And you have a really overly exuberant dog that's been around other animals, but maybe has been around other dogs and really has never learned about moderation. Right. And so... All the other dogs he's been with has also, have also been exuberant, so he hasn't really learned to read the more subtle body language. Instantly exuberant. Right. right. And he doesn't understand that some dogs need to work their way in. And then he goes over and he acts really, 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 really friendly uh, slash pushy. Right. <laughs> and the dog that is, um, that's in the corner thinking, you know, I need to take my time, I need to figure this out, fires on him. Right. And there's a lot of noise and there's some teeth and there's some that kind of thing. And then... Um, and then the people who brought the dog in draw the conclusion, well, that new dog is aggressive. Is aggressive. Yes. But he's actually d- defending himself. That's right. That's right. And and I think that that's a place where in multi-dog households that's a, that's a, a difficult thing for people to negotiate. It is because also the resident dog, depending on his reaction to being fired upon, I mean, if he backs off and goes, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to stress you out, that's great. But then sometimes you have the resident dog who's going, hey, who are you to come into my house and tell me off and tell me what to do and tell me not to get in your face and all of that stuff? You know, then you can actually start a fight. And that fight then, which which 
it would be very easy for people who loved that resident dog to say, well, this other dog started a fight. And in reality, mm-hmm. the other dog just said back off. Right. To their dog, the resident dog who was being pushy and obnoxious. And didn't realize that when you're told to back off, you need to just back off. Exactly. He right. wasn't taking the, the subtle signals of, yes. listen, please leave me alone. I need to process. So right. um, then the dog had to be more overt. And so then then there's the possibility that somebody who's bringing that new dog in thinks, well, this new dog is aggressive. And, and you know, this is a really problem dog. And in reality, it's not a problem dog. No. It's just a normal dog. And I think that's really important for people to understand. And the way that they react can can dictate what happens next. The people react. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Because in, a, in, in that set of circumstances, let's say the the dog is, is sending the signals, please leave me alone. The other dog is coming in very, very exuberantly and very uh, over the top. Mm-hmm. Obnoxious was your word. Yes. Yeah. I would agree. And uh, and then the, the dog that's standing in the corner says, hey, back off, and he fires. And then the people run up. And make a big, 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 big deal out of it. Right. And, oh, 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 poor baby to their their dog. Or they go to, to the new dog and go, or poor baby to that dog, because they understand that that dog was in a bad position. But even that can backfire and make, either, either way, it makes the, the new dog, the dog that fired, become more of a bully. Right. And the resident dog, let's say you coddle the resident dog who just got fired upon, then he's going, oh, well, uh, okay, obviously that dog was in the wrong and I was in the right, so that means that now I can be more of a bully. Right. Because then they also tend to, to get on the dog that, you know, that fired. They tell that dog no. So what what might have been an appropriate response? What, what would you, how would you counsel people on that one? What, what, if just exactly the setup that we had... And now the the shy dog has fired, and the other dog has backed off. Maybe maybe yelled. I've certainly seen this from overly exuberant dogs. Dogs right. that sort of remained in, in their puppyhood for an extended period of time, and they're right. and they're pushy, 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 pushy. And then the other dog fires on them, and then they scream, running across the yard. Right. <laughs> so so how would you how would you counsel your client to handle a situation like that? Uh, if you were standing there with them and it happened, I would I would probably at that point I would if the other dog ran away I would probably wait for a second and see how far the other dog went. You know, the dog, the resident dog, how far the resident dog went. Um, woof, woof, woof. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wondering what they're barking at. Dogs are breaking um, up your train of thought. <laughs> yes. How far away the other dog went. Because usually when that happens is the other dog runs away or he runs to the people and goes, oh, my God, did you see what happened? Right. And I would back away and go, well, you know, you're on your own. You started that one. And if the dog continued to go up and pester, I would probably put the resident dog on a leash and keep him away from the new dog and give and teach the resident dog, you know what, he's stressed out. We're going to stay over here and give the new dog a chance to realize that he's not being picked on, that I'm not going to allow the bullying. Right. Right, because that's really important. It is. It is really important that you'll. So, so there is a time to step in and a way to step in. Yeah. But stepping in and raising up the anxiety level by being very excitable yourself is kind of the kiss of death. Yes. (laughs) It's it's a it's a bad bad idea. Okay, so so what other problems can you think of? I mean, aside from bringing a new dog in, aside from that initial stages, but once you have a multi-dog household. Ways to manage it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you don't want the dogs spending 24 hours a day together. 
you know, because then they're influencing each other more than you are influencing them, which means that, like, let's say one dog would be more likely to pay attention to you and the other dog not so much because maybe it's a little more independent, but they spend more time together than they spend with you. Mm-hmm. And so, like, let's say you left the gate open and the dogs got out and the dogs go running around in the street or, you know, on the grass and you're trying to get them back in and the more malleable of the two would normally come to you if he was by himself, but you're calling and the more malleable dog looks at you and goes, well, I'd like to come to you, but my buddy buddy over here who I spend (laughs) 24 hours a day with who has more influence over me than you do would rather run around. And so I'm going to stick with him because he influences me more than you do. And so then that's, you know, that's another problem. So I think that when you have a multi-dog household, you need to make make sure you take the time to separate the dogs at least a couple times a week, at the very least, to spend individual time training them, playing with them, doing things with them. I mean, ideally you do it for a certain amount of time during the day. Even separating them, putting one in a crate and one not in a crate, or separating them with a baby gate, just so that they're not playing together and spending that much time together. Right. Well, the other thing I tell people I think is very important is that if you have a multi-dog household, that you take the time to spend individual time away from the house with each dog. Yes. That they are not left together, not just physically left together, but even left in the to be company for each other continuously. Yeah. Because there's always a possibility that there's over-dependence. Yes. That dogs become over-dependent on one another. Right. And, and as humans, we're... We tend to be touched by that. We yes. tend to think, oh, they're such good friends. They're such wonderful friends. They won't be separated. And and the problem with that is that you have to look down the road. There will come a time when these dogs will be separated, whether it's through injury or or, or just, death, just right or just... Just taking one, like if one has to go to the groomer because it's a poodle and the other one doesn't have to go to the groomer because it's a short-haired dog, or just taking one to the vet, what a hassle it would have to be to take both of them to the vet for one dog's appointment. And yet I know people who have done that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. and you know, one of, my, one of my clients who just called me because she got two new dogs. Her first, her first two died within three weeks of each other, the first two that I trained. One of them was younger. He had, I think it was a heart condition. He died. And within three weeks, her older dog, who had been, per, you know, perfectly healthy, died within three weeks because she stopped eating as soon as the other one died. Right. And um, so she lost them both. Wow. She lost them both. And so she turned around and got two more. And she got two more from a breeder, and the breeder wanted her to take both of them because they had spent every waking minute together, and they just loved right. each other. Right. And the first thing I did when I got there was I said, you need to separate them. And she says, oh, but they love each other. And I said, well, okay, but what happened the last two? Right. Do you really want that to happen again? Right. You know, um, recently, I know, I think you sent it to me. There was somebody who was looking for a home for two Labrador Retrievers because they, and they didn't want to separate them. They were losing their house, and they didn't want to separate the two dogs, and they were desperately searching for a place for their two dogs to go together, which is unlikely. Very difficult to find a yes. home for that. And and when I read the email, I was both sad and a little angry because yeah. they were clearly dogs who had been allowed to become so terribly over-dependent on one another that there was some concern that separating them, they would... And, and most likely would come out with some behavior mm-hmm. issues or if not something worse. And so I think that uh, one of the real, the real, the things to really keep in mind if you're going to have a multi-dog household is to make sure that those dogs develop independently 
as yes. well as their relationship with each other. Yeah. Um, I recently had a litter of puppies. The only litter of puppies I ever had, but I have a litter of puppies. My, or I had my my dog had a litter of puppies. And um, <laughs> glad you clarified that. <laughs> I have to keep clarifying that. And believe me, I felt like their mother. But we won't even go there. So, um, and and to, and I placed two of the puppies in one home. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the least advisable things, by the way, that you can ever do. And yes. I have a huge problem with breeders who do that. I have a huge problem when I go to a client's house and somebody has gotten two puppies Me too. at the same time from someone. However, however, it is important. I've raised litter mates right. before. I and, this raised is, and this is a, and this is a, a close friend of yours. So Very you good friend can, right. that I speak to every day. And at the time that she made the decision that she wanted to these puppies, I gave her a list a mile long of the things that would need to happen if she was going to keep two puppies from the same litter. And that included, you know, spending time individually with each dog, getting each dog out and into the public right. individually, making sure that they had rich enrichment activities that included each other and excluded each other. Right. I mean, there were just a ton of rules yeah. I'm surprised she did it, to be honest with yeah. you. I thought I was making it too hard to do it. But but there were just a ton of rules. Right. And, you know, and I talked to her. I talked to her every day and say, so, you know, who's been out today? Who's been out by themselves today? Because I know I, I did it. I raised uh, littermates at one time. And it was, you know, against oh, the urgings of everyone I knew. And every trainer that I ever met at the time would say, oh, my God, I can't believe you're doing that. But I was in a situation where I could take... Uh, one dog with me at all times and if you know what you're getting in for and you know having raising two dogs at the same time two whether it's two dogs at the same time two litters from uh, two puppies from the same litter or you just happen to get two young dogs from different litters mm-hmm. at the same Which time is what those labs are, I think. right and, and the same thing with these dogs that my client just got they were from different litters but they were from the same breeder mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. one was slightly older than the other, but they had spent every waking minute together. Right. And um, it's more than just double the amount of work. It's much more than just double the amount of work because because you have to separate them. You have to take individual time. Yes. So it's not just setting aside a you know half hour a day to train one dog. It's sep- it's it's more than a half hour because it, it, because in between that half hour for each dog, you have to make sure that they are managed in a way that they're not then. Right. Playing inappropriately and teaching each other bad behaviors and stuff like that. Or Right. So you might have to train one dog for half an hour and the other dog for half an hour. And then put the in rest an additional, of the time. that's right, an additional half an hour of time when one gets out and half an hour of time when the other gets out. I mean, right. I, you know, I have, um, the reason I brought up litter mates is because that's the most extreme version yeah. of what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and it requires such a long list of things. But, but. But it's a it's an extreme version of any multi dog household. Yeah. And especially if you get two dogs at the same time. If you if you have an older dog, and you bring a younger dog in, mm-hmm. then the dog that's going to become in de- uh, overly dependent is going to be the younger dog. Your older yeah. dog's probably already developed a sense of himself, and yeah. he's not going to have a huge issue with that. But the younger dog, this this goes for that situation too. When you bring a younger dog in, you have to spend and I think that people, I think that sometimes when I go in and I talk to people and I say you have to separate the dogs for a period of time, they think I'm just being mean. Yeah. Because well, they but like they to love be each other. That's right. They like to be toge- they love together. Each other. But it, it's, it's a very serious and important thing to realize that every dog needs to develop as an individual. Mm-hmm. 
that they can develop a relationship with your, your other dog that can be fantastic, but that they cannot merge their personality right. into that other dog. They have to have an independent personality that, that, they're, that, that is formed on its own. And um, and they can't and they could end up being a dog that doesn't function well without the other dog, mm-hmm. which you know as far as training goes, yeah. When you get when you have two dogs at the same time, you can train them together, which isn't a bad idea. But you want to train them individually, right, right? Save some time. But training them training them together is actually a pretty good idea because then you're teaching them to listen to you even though the other dog is present. Well, and the influence of the other dog is that the other dog is listening to you too. Right. So they actually influence each other to listen to you. Right. Which is which can be helpful. Right. And even I mean, what I've had people do is like, let's say the two dogs are like, like one dog is trying to listen to you, and the other one keeps trying to get the other dog to play, mm-hmm. while the one is going, "Hey, I'm trying to listen to mom. I'm trying to listen to what she's saying," and the other dog keeps being a pest. Ah, so you you put that dog on a tie down, chewing on a bully stick while you go five or six feet away with the other dog on a leash and work the dog. So at least the other dog is in the same room. Right, right. And so that you can get this dog to work despite the fact that the other dog is in the room. Right. You know? Tie down a, a behind a baby tie, gate. Right. And the bully stick, uh, for me, is optional, I have to say. The bully yeah. stick, I know the, the idea behind that is to keep the other dog quiet, from creating, yeah, a huge Too much ruckus. Of right. But the truth is... They have to learn to work. <laughs> they do. They do. And, and so I'm thinking I'm thinking small puppy with short attention yes. span. And I don't want this dog over here being such a pest that he's barking and doing right. so much that then you have to move so far away from him in order to keep the right. other dog's attention. Because, of course, distance means creating more distance between the two dogs means that you're going to be more likely to succeed with the dog that you're working with. Right. And if you – but if you have – this available to you, it's really nice to have somebody else interacting with your oh, yeah. second dog. Yeah. So that you have a dog that's in the presence that's it, that's bouncing back and forth between you and the other person. They're they're paying attention to you and then they're paying attention to the other person right. so that they learn some patience in the face of that. They yeah. learn to do that. Um, I wasn't trying to... Uh, no, uh, no, no, no. You were saying, I was just say, taking it to the next level. Yeah, no, yeah. no, and, and that's fine because that's what I what I have people do too. And if, you know, if there are two people in the household, then I will have them work on opposite sides of the room with the dogs on the leash and then switch dogs so it's not always also the same person working the same dog so that then the second dog doesn't listen to the other person. Right. And really quickly, back to the dogs spending 24 hours a day together, you spend 24 hours a day with anybody and you're likely to get into a squabble every now and then. And right. the squabble is going to be more more over the top because you're just sick and tired of this person or dog okay and so um by separating them you're also creating a an environment where they're going to be less likely to fight right and you don't have to by the way if you have a well-established home where the dogs are doing really well the dogs have have developed their own personalities you've done your training (laughs) that whole thing then then keeping them separated all it becomes less of an issue yes it's it's much less of an issue i you know i I don't keep my dogs separated very much, right. although I do take them different places without each other. So right. there's that. There's that. But um, but it, it's really we're talking about in the initial stages. Yeah. The other thing is when you have two dogs together, two heads are better than one. Boy, they can get in twice as much trouble. Oh yeah. They can make twice as many problems. Right. One says that's a good idea, but I don't have the guts to do it. So you go do it. Yes. And the other one goes okay. Yes. And like tearing the drapes off of the curtain rod or you know oh chewing up this book is good and then they do more than twice the amount of damage right and you have a dog that would never do that now suddenly participating and now he has the idea hey that was really fun right i think so he's more likely to do it on on his own now absolutely Um, i have actually a young dog my youngest dog and 
she's really, really a good girl. And she doesn't dig in the backyard. Unless her litter mates come over, which they do, because I, I let them come over and do play dates. And if they do, and I leave them unattended, she will go over and dig by the fence, which is just incredibly annoying to me. <laughs> but it's that two, two heads are better than one. That gives yeah. her the confidence to do it. Yes. It, when she's in that set of circumstances, that's the only time that she does it. And, yeah. and the funny thing is I get it lulled into a false sense of security because she's by herself and she doesn't do that. Not by herself, mm-hmm. but with my other adult dogs, and she doesn't do that. Right. And then, you know, one of the litter mates comes over, and I have them outside, and all of a sudden I go back, and there's this big hole, and I'm thinking, oh, how could I forget this happens? Right, <laughs> right. So anyway, so is that about it for multi-dog? There's, this is a big subject, and I think it is a big we'll subject, and we could go it. off onto so many tangents from yes. this. Yes. Well, yeah. I think that maybe in future podcasts we should revisit this and yeah. revisit various problems. And I think this is one of those uh, situations that if there's somebody out there listening to this that then has questions pertaining to multi-dog situations, maybe mm-hmm. a set of circumstances, this would be a good thing to write about, to write yeah. in and question us about, and maybe um, you'll set us off on a new set of ideas. So this is Laura Verhenny from Animal Attraction Unlimited and Kim Reinhardt with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. Bye. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.